praise God. And that's what I want to talk about, prayer. Um, it's, uh, it's become an issue of speculation and uh, intellectualism and dodging, but uh, I'd like to kind of pick up uh, practically where we left off uh, principally uh, on Friday. Um, I just want to say again that I have uh, had a pleasure this summer of having uh, three great young men with me um, who I'm delivering to their respective homes in the next week. Joel is back with his parents, uh, but he's also here with us this morning. Uh, and Benji and Jivin will take to New York uh, Friday. So um, those of you who have been praying for us and supporting us during the summer, thank you for that. We've had a wonderful time. That is basically um, what we feel called to do. The same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. So um, we believe in discipleship, and that's what we try to promote. Uh, again, ladies, we have coming up our stay and study. You should try your best to come. It is going to be worthwhile uh, beyond words uh, for you uh, for if you want to have, if you have the desire to know more about God's word. So talk to me or Stephanie and we'll give you more propaganda on that. Um, I want to, um, uh, us to start in 1 John chapter 1 and then we'll end up in Philippians chapter 4. 1 John chapter 1 and then we'll go to Philippians uh, four. Let's uh, just pick up what John is saying in verse number five. And I believe that uh, you could divide chapter one of First John into three passages, uh, each one having its own individual theme. But we're going to pick up basically um, the the. Uh, connection verse between uh, one passage and the other, and that's verse 5. This, then, is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we, confess our, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Lord, we ask that you take this time and uh, separate what is flesh from that which is spirit and give to your people exactly what you would have them to have. Father, please empower us so that we might communicate effectively. Let everything we say honor you as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, those of you who are looking to delve just a little deeper uh, in God's word, I would ask you to consider uh, transliterating, um, not translating. That's really difficult when you get in and all the, the parsing and the inflectives and imperatives and all the suffixes and prefixes of Greek, but just to get yourself a better working knowledge of how the passage flows, um, I would ask that you would, you would learn a good deal of Greek words and keep them in the back of your Bible. That's why you have those extra white pages in the back, so you can put extra notes that are permanent. Uh, start doing that for yourself, and yeah, you'll find it to be a great um, advantage for you. Every Greek word, every Hebrew word is an illustration. 
and if you delve into the biblical language, you, I think you'll find yourself head and shoulders above um, the rest of the pack. What you see here in verses, especially verses 6 through 10, is two worlds in conflict. Two worldviews in conflict. And so John, uh, who, who knows what he's going to say, especially in chapter 2 and 3, uh, is introducing the dynamics, the, the, the nuances of those two worlds in conflict. And in here, he, tra- he, 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 he juxtaposes the issues of light and darkness. So this is his point. This is the theme verse of this book. He says, this then is the message that we have um, heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, actually, the English is kind of archaic here. I haven't found a translation yet uh, in English that actually portrays what the Greek wants us to know. Because in English, a double negative equals what? Positive. But actually in the Greek, it's rendered like this. And in him is no darkness. No, no darkness at all. And it's in the emphatic. The word should be capitalized. In him is no darkness. No, no darkness at all. And that's exactly what John was saying in his first chapter uh, of his gospel. He says he was the light and the darkness could not overcome it. He is light, period. You can't go into a room and turn on the darkness. But you can go in a room and turn on the light and the darkness dispels. Light is not expelled by darkness. Darkness is expelled by light. And science can't figure that out because the universe seems to be more dark than it is light. But all of a sudden, the, 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 the thrust of, the, of the, the illuminance that God calls light dispels darkness. Absolutely. And darkness cannot overcome it. That's why uh, people say, you know, you know Dwight, what do you, how do you explain black holes? I don't because they've never found one. A black hole is a posit. It is a conjecture. I don't believe that there's a such thing as the absence of light. I do believe that there is the obstruction of light in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. But Christ comes into the picture and he gives light to a dark world. And that's what he's saying here about God. When you talk about God in any kind of expression or explanation, you have to understand that he is light. And in him is no darkness, no, no darkness at all. And so then he begins to take that and and compare it with the two considerations, the two worldviews. There is no middle ground. There is no ground of compromise. A young man caught up with me uh, between during the break, and he says, uh, he says uh, what's your name? I told him, Dwight Knight, and he, behind me was on board that I was going to be speaking, and he says, are you the speaker? He said, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, well, what are you, Calvinist or Arminianist? And I said, neither. He said, impossible. I said, it depends on your definition of either. I said, I'm not trying to find an argument. I'm trying to find fellowship. And that's what he says, isn't it? He says in verse number four, he says, these things we write, in, I'm sorry, verse number three, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you might have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. We're not supposed to be arguing, we're supposed to be fellowshipping. 
And this is what Paul, John is trying to, to share with us, that there has got to be a line of demarcation where absolute fellowship exists. So this is the message that we have that defines it all. It's not Calvinism. It's not Arminianism. It's not Pentecostal. It's not Brethrenism. It's truth. He says, there is this God and this God is light and in him is no darkness. No, no darkness at all. So he then takes the next five verses and he clarifies. He says, this is how you can tell whether you are in darkness or in light. He says in verse number six, he says, and you'll notice verse six, eight and nine are our are, are brothers. Because they all start with the same four words. If we say. I'm sorry, three words. If we say. Those same words, and they're on the same page. He says in verse number six, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse eight, if we say that we have no uh, sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's just it. What you say must match what you are because what you are. Are is what you'll do. So notice, two worldviews in conflict. The whole issue here is fellowship with the Father. And I want to tell you something, it is the bedrock of prayer. Fellowship is not closing your eyes real hard and saying, in the name of Jesus, that's not prayer. Prayer is fellowship. The word prosuke means with the soul, to bring the soul before God. And fellowship. Prayer is not your request. Prayer is not your laundry list. Prayer is not the things you want to say to God. It's fellowship. It is verbal communication, spirit to spirit. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's spirit to spirit. So, notice what he says in verse number six. He says, first of all, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, Yet walk in darkness, we lie. Okay? In other words, here is the divine indicator that you are in darkness. That you say you walk with him, but you're doing something contrary. That's what the end of Romans 10 was about. Paul says, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and gainsaying people. The word gainsaying is when you are saying, I'm coming, and you go the other way. That's exactly what it means. Oh, disobedient. Lord, I'm on your side, but you're doing something different. You say you fellowship with him, but you walk in darkness. You lie. You lie. And then verse number, number eight, he says this. If we say we have no sin, the issue here is not darkness. What is it? It's a D word. It's right there in the verse. Deceit. We deceive ourselves. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And notice that the, the, the word there is harmatia, not harmatius, but, but harmartian, and it's being there that we have no past sins. We are not sinners. Then you deceive yourself. Because if you have no sins, there's no reason for you to be saved. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I come to call the unrighteous. A young lady was saying, Dwight, I, I, I can't become a Christian. I'm such a horrible person. I've done so many sins. I'm such a sinner. I said, honey, don't you understand? That's the only way you can get to heaven. Heaven's not full of good people. It's full of sinners. Come and be one with us. 
Jesus is populating heaven with sinners. People who have come to him and admitted what they were. And he makes them white as snow. But you can't be in heaven unless you're a sinner first. One of the problems we had at my church was that uh, a couple was struggling and and uh, they were on their marriages on the rocks and eventually it dissolved. But the mother of the young lady uh, came uh, with them to counseling. And we said, you need to stay away from this. These are, we need to deal with the young people. No, we, I, I, I have to defend my daughter. Well, your daughter's a sinner just like No, my daughter's never sinned. My daughter's not a sinner. Then you need to get out to church because you're a liar and she's a sinner. <laughs> if you don't admit you have sin and that you're not a sinner, you deceive yourself. I don't know if you guys remember um, the early talk show host, Phil Donahue. Anybody remember him? You know, he hit his head on the, with his microphone. I think he did permanent brain damage. But uh, he had three very prominent Christians on his show one day, and they were talking about the need for a Savior, who Jesus Christ was, and uh, he says, okay, wait a minute, what's that, that very famous hymn everybody sings? And they said, uh, well, this, this, no, how great are no, uh, amazing grace. He said, that's it, sing it for me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Stop. Why do I have to be a wretch? And Dean Jones, who's an actor from Hollywood, said, yeah, why do you? He says, I'm lost, Dean. He says, why do you have to be a wretch when you can be a saved sinner? He says, well, why am I a wretch? Why am I a worm? Because you were born that way, Phil. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. He says here, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You cannot approach God as a sinner, constantly approaching him. Because Habakkuk 1.13 says, thou art of too pure eyes to behold iniquity. And then verse number 10, the issue is not, is not uh, darkness or deceit. Notice what it says in verse number 10. If we say then we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here it's damnation. When you turn your fist toward God and say it's your fault, what I am, what I do, what I'm all about, it's your fault. That's damnation. That is, that's anathema. That is the unpardonable sin when you blame God. That your everything that happens to you is his fault. You can never have fellowship with God on those terms. But let's flick it, look at the other world, the one that does allow us fellowship with God. Verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's justification. He deals with all. That's, that makes me approachable. It makes me, diasukene, righteous. Makes me righteous. Righteous means to be in right standing with God. That I can stand before God without fear of condemnation and fellowship. Konania. Walk with God face to face. And that's what prayer is all about. Facing him. Talking to him about what's on my soul. Spirit to spirit and unveiling my soul to him. It's not that he's ignorant of it. He wants to have conversation. God wants to deal with the essence of who I am. My being. My personhood. 
God purposely made me a person. He did not make me a tonatom. He did not make me a robot. He didn't make me some, some kind of android. He gave me personhood. Not so he could appreciate me, but I could appreciate him. That's the way he made me. He did not give that distinction to wood or to flowers. He wanted me to have personhood, realize who I was, and to realize my standing and my state, in so doing, have something to cry out for betterment, some kind of relationship where I can be better, where I can grow and I can develop. So many people are, I, I do counseling and I really hate counseling, but I do so many counseling and people say, I don't know who I am. I said, well, you know what? Retrace your steps and find out where you lost yourself. Young lady, well, I was speaking at Harvard, and she said, oh, Brother Dwight, I've got to peel away all of my, selfly, my socially defined selves and my socially defi defined identities and peel away all of my social, so socially prescribed uh, views and, and peel away with all of these masks of who I am. I said, be careful, honey, because if you keep on peeling, you might find out something. What? You're an onion. That's all an onion is, is the sum total of its skins. And that's what the world is keep doing to you over and over again, giving you new and more identities, more and more masks that you wear. And you eventually find out if you pull away all of that stuff because there's no core relationship between you and God, there's nothing left. God gave you personhood, and that's what you identify with, who you are. Not what you're trying to be, not a philosophy of life that you're trying to follow and just hopefully you'll turn out all right. That's not, that's not life. That's why art is no longer imitating life, but life is imitating art. The world doesn't know what it is, so it watches movies and they become Jedis. And, and they watch, look at uh, televisions and they want to be drug dealers. And, and kids think that you die once by, in a hail of bullets and you respawn next week. They have no personhood, no identity of who they are. And when they discover who they are, they realize that they need help. And that's where we have fellowship. So if we confess, if we, if, if, if we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we learn something. We have personhood. And that personhood realizes that it has a void inside of it that needs a savior. That's fellowship. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, Cleanses us. The Greek word there is catharsis. Would we get the word catharsis from? It's a channel of, of cleansing. He cleanses from all sin. And that's God's biblical absolute to people who have any kind of addiction. The blood of Jesus Christ goes all the way back to Adam and it cleanses. It cleans out all of that stuff that thought it, it needed a source of, of, of fulfillment. So if your addiction is food, God takes you back to the source and says, that's not what you need for fulfillment. If, you, if your addiction is sexual activity, God takes you back to the point where you thought you were empty and that you needed more. And he supplies himself and the fellowship that he gives eradicates that craving. That's the whole point. Jesus fulfills all in all. But you cannot hold on to any kind of self-prescribed identity. Well, I still need a little part of this, so I'm, I'll have part of who I am. I can't, I can't give myself wholly to God because I lose who I am. You're nobody. You have no identity outside of Christ. You have to go back and let the word of God 
God's blood take care of your situation. So in verse number nine, he says this. It's not about justification in verse number nine. It's about sanctification. It's not about conversion in verse seven and verse number nine. It's about, it's, it's about confession. If we confess our sins, that's present active indicative. That means the things that you're doing now, the things that you engage in, the way you can cause war against heaven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One deals with the past, justification. But one talks about sanctification, practical sanctification. Right now, that's why the word is used there, homologeo, to say the same as. We say the same thing that God just observed. And notice what he does. He's able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that your prayers are not hindered. So often we can't pray and really get through with God, not because we're positionally out of place. No, because we're practically out of place. Nothing can change the fact that you are a Christian. Nothing can change the fact that you're a son of God. Nothing can change the fact that you're going to heaven. There's nothing can change the fact that God loves you. But Jesus said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he said, if you deny me, I'll deny you access to heaven. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has to do with your benefits. If you want to act like a sinner, then you live like a sinner. Don't ask God to have diplomatic relations open in heaven. You have to deal with this. You have to confess your sins. And he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So often I get the question, why didn't God answer my prayer? Why is I, I, I prayed and I prayed and I fasted and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I said, well, let's look at the whole story. And we go back and we research and there's sin and there's attitude and there's personhood that you're holding on to, but you want a holy God to give you what you want. That's not how it works. So we looked at the, the terms of this. Now we can look at Philippians 4, and I promise you I won't be much longer. At least uh, give me another hour and a half and we'll uh, get this out of the way. You know this. You know this. It's a five-point outline. I'm just going to give it to you real quick and try to put a little meat on it, and we'll go home. It says this in verse number 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians. It says this, be careful for nothing. Now, um, who's got uh, um, ESV? Who's got it? Read, read what it says, that first phrase. What does it say? Verse 6. Okay, anxious, okay? Uh, who's got another translation? Who's got NAS, NASB? Nobody? Okay, there, there are four words that are translated from the Greek word that is there. Careful, anxious, worry, concern. Don't, don't be anxious. Don't be careful. Don't worry. Don't be concerned for nothing. Because why? God is in the driver's seat. He's the one that's in control. So first of all, prepare completely. Prepare completely. Each one of these points is going to be PC. Okay? Prepare completely. Now that has to deal with the aspect of sin. Before you come before God in any aspect at all, 
You prepare completely. You just don't bring to mind those few things you've just done. You look back in your past and ask the Holy Spirit to help you and deal with all of that and see where you fall in that scale of 1 John chapter uh, 1, verses 6 through 10. Do you have issues with fellowship with God? Do you have issues with what you're holding back that's still yours? Are you accusing God of not being God but something else? Have you been cleansed? Have you been had that catharsis take place? Have you confessed? If all those things, this is what you have to do. You have to prepare completely. Make sure that there is nothing between you and God. I like what Proverbs chapter 24 says this. He says, hey, first prepare the field without. Make it fit for thyself in the field. Then build your house. You don't build your house just on ground because it's level, because underneath might be a boulder and you build your house and that foundation may crack. You have to do some excavating. You have to make sure that everything is right, that it's clear. So first of all, prepare completely. You get along with God, sequester your soul and your mind and your spirit, and you go back and look over your life and say, God, bring to remembrance anything that's an issue that I haven't dealt with. Is there an ought between me and my brother? Because if there is no fellowship here, there's no fellowship here. God says, if you knock down the walls with your brother, I'll take the roof off between you and your father. That's the first thing you got to deal with. You have to prepare completely. The next thing he says this, he says, but in everything by prayer, that's pray correctly. Now, the first was an issue of sin. The second one is an issue of scripture. You cannot make up stuff and throw it at God and try to hold him accountable. Your prayers, especially when it comes to requests, must be based on scripture and an accurate interpretation of scripture, not just pulling out what you want, you know, brethren elect. Okay, I'll promise. Okay, uh, you'll have a children this time next week. You can't do that. You have to. You have to. You have to pray correctly, and that's an issue of scripture. Listen, God always answers the prayers He composes. He always does. So go in the scriptures and find prophecy, find promises. Find praises and see if they apply to you. You have to pray correctly, and that means you have to know the scriptures. And I'm not just talking about reciting them, but knowing it, knowing it in context. Know the difference between covenant truth, kingdom truth, and church truth. What was said to Abraham may not apply to you. Your wife may, may be named Sarah, but she's not going to have a child at 75. Okay? There has to be biblical application, real spiritual essence in the work of your prayers. The story is told of a guy who was a bum and he was on the street. And someone went up to him and tried to witness to Christ. And he said, I, I'm not going to do that Jesus thing. He said, Why not? He said, Because of praying. He said, Prayer scares me. He said, Well, yeah, we should. A reverential prayer, but what do you mean scared? No, I'm scared. He said, what, what do you mean? He said, what is the apostle's prayer? God thought, thought, thought apostle's prayer. You mean our father's heaven? No, no, that's the Lord's prayer. What's the apostle's prayer? The apostle's prayer. He said, you know what it is? He said, no, well, tell me what it is. Now I lay me down to sleep. 
I pray the Lord my soul to keep. He said, that's fine. But if I die before I wake, that scares me. He said, first of all, that's not in the Bible. Well, why do all the apostles pray it? No apostles ever prayed that. My pastor prayed it every Sunday. Well, you need to get a new pastor. Pray correctly. Know the scripture. There are things in your Bible that are biblical absolutes. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Jesus says, pray that you enter not into temptation. These are all biblical absolutes. You want to stay away from temptation? The Bible says pray. Well, Dwight, I'm constantly tempted. That's why the scripture says, pray without ceasing. Pray correctly. Next thing he says is this. He says, everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication. The word desis, you know what it means? Struggle. Struggle. Hold your finger there and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And most people don't like this verse, but it's the truth anyhow. Look at what he says in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians verse 1. Wherefore, we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow uh, laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you, to come to you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it's come to pass, and you know you are ordained of God to be a creature of crisis. This razzmatazz about always having living above and, and always getting what you want and everything high, wide, and handsome, that's not biblical. I cannot tell you how many uh, lives I've seen on the roadside of the charismatic movement who have given up on God because they didn't get the million dollars in the mail, because they, their, their mother died of cancer when they prayed real hard and spoke it out into the universe. And all. I, I cannot tell you how many casualties have given up on God because they said what he said was not true. It's not that God didn't say something that was untrue, but the preacher did. You got to know that we are ordained of God to struggle. Have you ever read it? Have you ever read it? Go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And look at verse 39. Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 39. Luke 22, 39. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said to them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And when he was withdrawn of them about a stone's cast, he kneeled down and cried, prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not at my will, but thine be done. And he, there appeared unto him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. This is the righteous son of God, the sinless son of God. And God has to send an angel to strengthen him. So much, so more. Don't you think that God would bring strength to you? Look at the next verse. And being in agony, he named it and claimed it. No, what did he do? He prayed more earnestly. The word agony is the word argon. It literally means that. It means agony, struggle. Part of your prayer life must be war. War. 
It's no wonder that verse 18, after six verses of discussion in Ephesians, talks about praying in the spirit with all supplication. You've got this technologically spiritual armor, and it includes something, supplicating and warring in the spirit. There's got to be a struggle because it's a fight, literally, for the control of your soul. Satan wants one of three things to happen. He wants to win, wants the world to win, and wants your flesh to win. You have to struggle. Listen, prepare completely. That's about sin. Get it out of your life. Every aspect of it you can remember. Then you have to pray correctly. That's scripture. Know what the issue is. Supplication. That's struggle. That's struggle. My prayer life, my prayer time in the morning is divided up into five categories. I won't waste all the time on telling what they are, but one of them is imprecatory prayers. Prayers of struggle for people who have walked away from God and fellowship with him. And I supplicate because I realize that the issue here is darkness and deceit and damnation. And I supplicate, I struggle there. That's where I spend most of my time. You have got to struggle in prayer, saints. If you have a wonderful time in prayer, I hope you're not talking about it was all fun and joy. David often spoke imprecatorily about a lot of things. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's family. Most times it's foes. But a lot of times his own flesh. Why the Cast down my soul, and why thy disquietest wind in me? Hope thou in God. So, listen, persist constantly. Prepare completely, pray correctly, persist constantly. Struggle. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give in. Don't you dare let Satan get the victory. Here's the next thing. He says this. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You know what that is? Sacrifice. Say, wait a minute, Dwight. We mean sacrifice. Praise continually. Praise is not about being happy. We bring what? Sacrifices of praise. I have never seen a sacrifice dancing to the altar. You know what sacrifice is? The end result of sacrifice is death. And that's what praise must encompass. True praise must mean death to your flesh, death to yourself. Jesus says, you can't be my disciple unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That means that there is absolute and complete surrender to him. Denial of self. You had to die on the cross. A young man told me in Bermuda once, he said, I'm leaving the Brethren Church. I said, why? He says, I don't like the music. And I, 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 nobody's teaching me anything. I said, when did you ever think that the music was for you, buddy? All they sing is hymns. Yes, because it's about him. Not you. H-Y-M-N is a Middle English way of spelling H-I-M. Hymns are about him. They're not called yous. Him. 
Those old tired songs. Yeah, when I survey the wondrous cross. Have you ever sat down behind, beside yourself and surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Lord of glory died? No, you want to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I feel good, give me, give me, give me, I love you. We call them 7-Eleven songs. Seven words sung 11 times. Drives me crazy. And the worship leader is the only one that's not having his hand up in the air. Everyone hands up in the air. He's not. And for 45 minutes, you got to stand like this. Drives me crazy. I would just love, if I was to speak, to get up and say, hey, young man, you, worship leader, come up here. And stand right here. And while I preach for the next hour and a half, keep your hands up in the air. That's not praise. That's not praise. Praise is sacrifice and surrender. With thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, praise continually. What did Job say? He said, the Lord gave, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's the same Lord that gave, it's going to be the same Lord that takes away. He does not ascribe any kind of credit to Satan. He doesn't ascribe any kind of credit to, to nature or favor or friends. He said, it's the Lord. I don't know where we got this idea that other factors decide our spiritual condition. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And in any context, no matter what the result, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise continually. And here's the last one. Petition confidently. Let your request be made known unto God. Petition confidently. That's satisfaction. Absolute satisfaction. Now does the next verse say, and you'll get what you want? No. You'll get what you need. And the peace of God that surpasses your need to understand what's going on. That's what it actually means in the Greek. It will keep your heart and your mind by Christ Jesus. And the peace of God that surpasses your need to understand what's going on will keep your heart and mind by Christ Jesus. And this is what God is trying to bring us to, the peace of God. The peace of God, but understand something, that the peace of God brings about the full joy of God. That's what it takes to survive. That's what it takes to you to make it the next day. And just one small caveat to this. Remember that the fruit of joy comes from the seed of tears. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. He that goeth forth bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Psalm 126.5. So if you haven't cried, you have no right to say you have joy. If you haven't bared all night your soul before God and asked for his help, you won't have a song in the morning. You won't. Now, I say this with a great deal of uh, caution because God is different from the world. The world teaches you the lesson and then makes you apply it. God gives you the application and through the application teaches you the lesson. God puts you in the fire and says, now, what are you learning? That's part of the franchise, y'all. Sorry. God wants you to depend on him first, not so he can teach you a lesson 
but so he can give you a testimony. He wants to give you a testimony. See, a testimony is an accurate witness of who God is. Paul and Silas didn't dance and they didn't sing until they were in prison. The Hebrew boys didn't dance and sing until they were in the fire. They had a testimony. They had a witness before, but then they had a testimony. There were rough days ahead, not because Satan is crazy. He's always been crazy. Not because the world is evil. The world has always been evil. Since Adam ate of the tree, the world was evil then. Not because the flesh is weak. Your flesh has always been weak. But the reason why is because this world has fallen. And you can't vote in change. You cannot legislate change. You have to live as light in a dark world. So saints, uh, let's get our prayer right. Let's be known as being people of prayer, real prayer. Let's, let's find ourselves centered in truth in God's word. And, and stop playing this game of religiosity. Solid prayer. Sister came to me once and said, Brother Dwight, pray for me. Okay, sister, what do you want me to pray about? Well, it's an unspoken request. It's an unspoken request? I'll tell you what, you gave me an unspoken request, I'm going to have an unspoken prayer. She said, well, I just need you to pray for me. About what? I can't pray blindly. Just because I'm a minister, or just because I go to church and I read my Bible, what do you think I am, oracle? I need to know what you want me to pray about. Okay, well, I want you to pray for Howard. Who's Howard? He's a man I'm in love with and I'm going to marry. Okay, that's fine. What do you want me to pray about, Howard? That his first wife will die quietly in her sleep. I'm telling you, this is the truth. I'm not lying. I go, what? What are you talking about? You want me to pray? And that was the unspoken. No wonder it's unspoken. It's hedonistic. It's an affront to God. And you want me to put in the name of Jesus on the back of that? Lord, I'm in lust for a man, and I want to fornicate with him, but please kill his wife quietly. What is wrong with you? I know that sounds funny, but it's a true story. Unfortunately, y'all, that's what we become. We become good luck charms to the world. And that's not what God called us to be. Prayer warriors. Prayer warriors. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask them this. But, but, if... We pray God's will. We know we have the petitions we've desired of him. We have to know what God's will is, and that's found here. Don't you dare give up on prayer. Don't you certainly don't give up, give up on God. He is true every single day of the week. You, you, you are a church that knows that God answers prayer. If I were to poll the members of this church, we'd have a list longer than this building of how God has answered prayer. And that's supposed to be indicative of every local body of Christ. So let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Let us be known for having access to heaven. Let's be known for God doing what he only does for his people. And in the midst of a, of a world that is just trying everything, let's have the answer. Let's have the standard. Let's have the truth and pray. And I dare say to you before the week is out, you're going to desperately need to pray. How often should you pray every time you think about it? 
I would hope that your church would come together in corporate prayer, Matthew 18, and bring those things that are most desperate before God and watch God answer prayer according to his word. Watch what he does. Have you ever read Lamentations 3? Let me leave you with that. Turn to Lamentations chapter 3. And here's a man who was depressed. That's the best thing I could say about Jeremiah. He was depressed. And he thought that God had given up on him and that, uh, well, I'll let him use his own words. Look at Lamentations 3. Now let's pick up the prophet right in the middle of, of his complaining. Verse number 17. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul still hath them in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I call, recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Because his compassions, they what? They fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You see, oftentimes God has to take us through the storm to remember what sunlight is like. And in those darkest hours, God has to show us who he really is. Remember Jonah said, from the depths of hell I cried out to thee. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He said one of the most prolific things that most people miss. It's the only verse in the NIV that I like. Chapter 2, verse 8. In the King James Version, it says, those that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But in the NIV, it says, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Isn't that beautiful? That's poetry. Those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And then he said, salvation is of the Lord. And at that point, God set him free. So let's, let's be prayer warriors. Let's have something to brag about with God. When all the other world has tried everything else and has failed, let's brag on God and have testimony. And that's how we overcome it. Lord, I pray by your people hearing this message, they'd adjust themselves, they will position themselves to a point of being prayer warriors. People who call out to you by faith and are victorious. Not because we get what we want, but we want what you give us. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name.